And so, Lord, we do lift our souls to you, and we pray, speak to us now, and give us ears to hear your word. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. To be a generation or to be a people that seek the face of God means that we're saying to the Lord, Lord, what matters to you? Lord, what do you love? Lord, what are you doing? And the Lord has told us that very clearly. He loves righteousness. He loves purity. He is pure in him. There's no darkness. And he loves people. Loves them deeply. Loves them so much that he gave himself, that he humbled himself, emptied himself, became one of us, gave his life when he was being mocked and scorned and abused, all so that he could redeem and restore And so when we are seeking the face of God and we're saying, God, I I want to know you, I want to serve you, I want to yield my life to you, we're, we're doing two basic things. We're asking the Lord to straighten our lives out, make them righteous, make them right, love the things that he loves, don't love anything evil or dark, and help us to love people, that's loving him, and help us to love people really well. So we've been talking, preaching in the sermons the last few weeks about cooperating with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, because God is always on the hunt for people. He loves people and he wants to communicate to them, I love you. And in his sovereignty and his wisdom, he's decided he's going to do that through us by his Spirit. When we're born again, that is when we receive new life from Jesus Christ through faith in Him, He puts His Spirit in us. Imagine that. The Spirit of God who made heaven and earth in us. And then He says, be filled with the Spirit. And all the fruit that the Holy Spirit brings, love and joy and peace, patience and kindness. And He says, be led by the Spirit. And so we've been asking ourselves, well, How does that happen? How, what does the Bible say to us about how are we as God's children led by the Holy Spirit? We've been talking about dynamics that the scripture shows us are common. And I'm not going to repeat them in detail, but just to say up to this point, we've said love is the foundational and first dynamic. That when we're working with God, we're filled with his love for people and moving toward people with love. Love moves us to pray Because we know our need and people's needs and we need to invite God to work. And then God, so that's the second dynamic, is intercessory prayer. Third one that we've noticed is when we pray, God works. And he works with and through us. And so he calls us to take steps of faith that are clothed with obedience. God begins to move and we need to move with him. Like Evan shared with us in his story. He was invited into a situation 
But in that situation, there was brokenness, and he had to take the step of faith and to begin to open his mouth and to speak life-giving words from Scripture. And then the Lord continued to work, and there were more steps of faith. Last week, we talked about how when God is guiding us to take steps of faith, that implies God's guiding, God's speaking, or He's prompting, or He's moving in a certain direction, or He's communicating. And we said at one time, this is both incredible, that the God of the universe is speaking to and through us, and it's also fraught with danger. Because many, many have claimed God is speaking and done great damage in His name. In fact, just this week I received an email from a missionary in China who actually is the woman who took over Anne in my position a number of years ago who said, um, please pray for us. Cults are rampant in China. And this is how we're experiencing the fruit of them. And they are... Um, they they recruit so strongly that they give their their um, new converts to these cults um, quotas of people that they need to themselves recruit in order to be members. And she said it just wreaks havoc because the church here is growing in leaps and bounds, but their knowledge of Scripture is not deep. So, does God speak? Yes. Is everything that we hear God's voice or people say is God's voice, his voice? No. And so this morning we're going to talk about spiritual discernment, which makes listening to and obeying God safe. Okay? So the scripture that we've opened for the last four weeks as we've been talking about the dynamics of cooperating with the Holy Spirit is the story in John 11 of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Now in that story... We don't see Jesus exerting discernment, but it's there. He is discerning that God the Father is calling him not to go immediately, but to stay. He's discerning that God is calling him not to let Lazarus stay in the grave, but to raise him. Jesus didn't raise everybody from the dead, but in this moment... This was something that God was calling for that was going to bring glory to God the Father as Jesus cooperated with him. So there's discernment there, but because we don't see the behind the scenes, we need to look at some other scriptures. So I want to begin by reading three scriptures that both call us to and speak about discernment. First one is from Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, chapter 5, verse 19 to 21. It's quite short, so I'll just read it to us. Paul says, do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies, that's messages from God, with contempt. That would mean that you'd look down on them. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. So here's the summary. Welcome be hungry for the activity of God's Spirit. But as you do so, that, that's what it means, don't put out the Spirit's fire. Don't, be, don't quench, don't put water on, don't shut down something God's doing. When God's working, let Him work. Be hungry for Him to work. But, he says right alongside that, test 
everything. So the first thing we need to hear is, you're not being skeptical to say, hold on a moment, can we test that? How do we know that that's God? Actually, you're honoring God. You're not being skeptical, you're honoring Him. And it's not quenching to ask to test something. Okay? So, welcome and be hungry for the activity of God's Spirit, but test everything and then hold the good and avoid evil. From 1 John 4, verse 1, John says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God, because many false prophets, that would be people who bring false messages, have gone out into the world. Now this is interesting. Notice that connection. He says, test the spirits. He's talking about spirits, and then he says, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. In other words, people are always operating under the influence of one spirit or another. This is what it means to be created in the image of God. We are body, soul, and spirit. We're always being spiritually fathered or shaped by something or someone. We're being led by the Spirit of God. Paul Paul says in Hebrews 12, God's the Father of our spirits. We're being led by the Spirit of God, or we aren't. We're being led by some other spirit. Could be a spirit of jealousy, could be a spirit of anger, could be a spirit of rebellion, could be many, many different spirits. There's a plethora of spiritual influences, an unseen world. Paul says in Ephesians 6, our battle's not against flesh and blood, people, but against the powers and principalities of this dark world. that set themselves up against Christ. So, in 1 John here, testing the spirits means testing the message of the people who bring... Testing messages that come through people and saying, what influence is guiding that message? Is it the Spirit of God or not? Third scripture. 1 Corinthians 14.29 says... This is, again, Paul writing to a church. He's giving practical pastoral guidance. He says, uh, two or three prophets should speak and the others should weigh carefully what is said. So, again, this dynamic of welcoming messages from God and the others should weigh carefully what's said. So, practicing discernment is the act of testing or examining something to determine whether it's genuine. You bring a $10,000 bill to the bank and you give that to them and they are going to make real sure to find out if that is a counterfeit or if that is a genuine $10,000 bill. So as Christians, we are more vigilant than we would be about money to say, is this counterfeit? Is this coming from somewhere other than God? Or is this the real thing? Is this word that you're speaking, this message that you're bringing, this guidance, is it from the living God? Is it real? Why do we want to do this so vigilantly? Well, let me say again. Paul says in Philippians 2.12, he says, it's God who works in you to will and to act 
according to his good purposes. So God working in you, upon you, causing you to will, to want what God wants, and to act in accordance with God's purposes. But God's not the only one who's trying to work upon us or through us. The Bible makes it really clear that we can be guided by sources other than the Lord. And in fact, that uh, sources other than God can energize our lives. Sin is one of those. James says, each person is tempted when by his own evil desire he's dragged away and enticed. Isn't that interesting? James describes sin or an evil desire as a living thing. Something that has the power to drag you away, to drag you down a road or down a path, that's alive. It's got... It's sin when it's given root in us, says James, grows up and gives birth to death. So it's something that can act upon us, that can move us, that can guide us. But even beyond sin, there are other influences. And um, I want to give us a not-so-pretty picture of those other influences. Matthew 16. There's a central passage in the Gospels in which Peter's just finished confessing Jesus to be the Messiah. Jesus has said, who do the crowd say I am? And then he says, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you are the Messiah. You're the long-awaited deliverer, the Son of God. And Jesus blesses him. Right after that, Jesus says, you're Peter, and upon you I'm going to build my church upon this rock, and I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. In other words, I'm giving you authority. It's this huge moment. And then right after that, Jesus begins to describe the suffering that waits for him in Jerusalem. Peter takes him aside, and Peter begins to rebuke Jesus. And and Jesus' answer to Peter is what? Satan, get behind me. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. In other words... Jesus is discerning an agenda that finds its origin in hell. In the character and the will of Satan coming through Peter. Now, friends, I've shared this before, but I find this very, very sobering. Peter is a believer in Jesus. He is in one moment moved from professing Jesus as the Messiah, the truth, to now aligning his thoughts and therefore his unchecked words with Satan himself. All because, why? He assumed that his thoughts, that his agenda was of God. But he didn't exercise spiritual discernment. It's that easy for any of us to give ground within our thought life to something that's not from God. The Bible describes Satan as cunning, snaring, scheming, deceiving, prowling, devouring, and taking captive to do his will. On top of all this, 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, Paul describes Satan as masquerading, that means pretending, playing, to, as an angel of light. In other words, he doesn't come at us with guns blazing in a way that we'd obviously recognize, but he comes dressed up in something that sounds good. It sounds appealing. Something like, 
oh, it can't possibly be God's will for Jesus to die. He's just gaining traction with the people. Some of them are starting to believe he's the Messiah. It can't possibly be God's will. And so Peter shows us in a painfully clear way just how easy it is for Satan when we don't discern to find a foothold in our thinking. And so I want to say this clearly. As Christians, we are, we've been given a heart change. We really do want to please God now. But we're also dealing with the remnants of our old nature. Okay? So as much as our hearts and our minds have been transformed by the Word and the Spirit of God, there is less room or foothold for Satan to to um, to grab onto. But the, the less transformation that's been done in our hearts and our minds, the more room for a foothold. And so as we talk about cooperating with the Holy Spirit, it's really important for us to be over and over asking, is something genuinely from the Holy Spirit? Is it God guiding? Or is it coming from somewhere else? And I want to tell you two stories, two short stories, to illustrate two extremes that we want to avoid and that I think are rampant in the body of Christ. The first extreme is what we might call unthinking gullibility. This is where we just accept everything as from God. So somebody says, God told me, okay, brother, okay, sister, act on it. Unthinking gullibility. It's not testing anything. I was at an event once, probably about five, six, six years ago. And um, we were having a leaders meeting when a woman came in and she began exhibiting some really strange dark behavior, speaking with some foul language. And then she left the room real fast. And one of the men in the room said, and this man was a minister, no, he said, um, such and such a person, a min- and he named a minister, says that this lady has the gift of being able to see Satan's tactics and that she shares her discernment through her exhibition of these strange behaviors so that what you can see in her is kind of like what Satan's thinking or or about to do. He didn't state it with a lot of conviction as though he was sure himself, but nobody argued with him. And so for what felt like to me like a long time, there was this uncomfortable silence in the room. And finally, I spoke up and I said, there is no way that that behavior was motivated by the Holy Spirit. There's no way. And then all of a sudden, the room, the mood in the room shifted, and and um, people came along and said, "Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah." And we've talked about it more. And this woman needs some ministry. She needs some prayer. And so we ended up praying for her later. And she needed to. She needed some healing. She needed some deliverance. She needed to confess a significant amount of sin. Uh, and it became, you know, very obvious to people this this behavior was not of God. But here we were in that moment where. Somebody, somebody's exhibiting some really weird behavior. Somebody else is saying it's from the Holy Spirit. And is anybody going to say anything? Or are they just going to accept it? We cannot, in moments like that, keep our mouth shut. We test everything, says Paul. The other um, extreme we want to avoid is what, what we might call obstructive skepticism. So here's an example of uh, a true story friend is preaching a sermon, evangelistic sermon, at a, ser- at a service in Canada. 
and um, gives a an altar call for people who are going to receive Jesus to come forward. And this woman, who's a member of this congregation, comes forward to receive Jesus. And as she surrenders her life to the Lord and the Holy Spirit starts to come into her, guess what? She's got an evil spirit that begins to manifest its presence. Because the Holy Spirit is coming in, that spirit's being driven out. And so she's, what does the, what does the Bible say happens in Acts when people are getting filled with the Spirit in, in Samaria? Evil spirits come out with shrieks and screams. Well, this woman started to do that. Now, the elders of this church hadn't seen anything like that before. They got weirded out and they said, make it stop! And the friend who was leading the service said, sirs, I think Jesus is working. I think Jesus is actually driving this out as he comes into this lady. No, make it stop. No, I really think Jesus is working. And he tried to explain. It. They said no. And they carried this lady out of the service. And he took her into a back room. And he had the pain of leading the rest of that service, listening to that lady screaming from a distance. And she never got delivered because they were too scared. They were... They were obstructively skeptical of anything that was kind of beyond their experience. And so they shut it down and they never welcomed him to come back. And as far as he knows, this lady didn't get delivered. That's an attitude that quenches, that blocks the work and the movement of God's spirit when he's working. We don't want to do that. Paul says, don't put out the spirit's fire but test everything. And so they weren't allowing for a process of testing. Um, my wife, Anne, worked for six years for InterVarsity, and she said it pained her because she constantly experienced these two poles happening. She said, um, on, in campus ministry, there was two groups. There was a group that said, the Holy Spirit works, and He moves, and He gives gifts, and He clearly makes His presence known among us. And there was a group that said, you can only trust the Bible. God doesn't work that way anymore. And um, it's that's not safe. And so we just study the Bible and do what the Bible says. And Ann said, you know, I'd look at this group over here that welcomed the Holy Spirit. Their lives are really attractive. They were full of joy. And I saw God doing beautiful things through them. But then, so I'd get close to them. And everyone, then every once in a while, something... Somebody would say, well, God told me, and it would be kind of a weird thing, and the, and then nobody would say anything about it, and they would just kind of move on, and she'd go, what do you do with that? It's like this unchecked, sometimes weirdness, sometimes it's just clearly not God, sometimes we don't, we don't know, we want to discern it, but there's no time or there's space, and so she'd feel uncomfortable with it. And so she'd move back over to this group over here, and this group's real safe and they love God's word. And yet, there was a lack of the gifts of the Spirit. The gifts that He gives and the ways that He helps to minister. And she knew that lack. Even though these people love the Lord, she knew that lack. And so she'd move back over here and constantly between these two poles. What the Bible's telling us is these two poles shouldn't exist in the body of Christ. They should be, these groups should be together. Okay? We welcome the Spirit to work. We test everything. And so what I want to say to us this morning is, how do we do that? And I want to offer four basic questions that every one of you should memorize and should have memorized within the month. I'm not, I'm not kidding. 
You should have these questions memorized so you can test everything all the time. Because I want to tell you the, the bigger issue or struggle that I think exists in the church is not just that people are claiming to be led by God and maybe aren't, but that people aren't aware of what they're being guided by. People are making decisions and are under the influence of some form of guidance, but aren't aware what's guiding them, aren't necessarily asking God to guide them and looking for His guidance. These questions will help bring us into an experience of our good shepherd shepherding our lives. Right? The Bible says He leads us in right paths. Okay, so here's those four questions. First question. Does it bring glory to Jesus Christ? It may sound ridiculously simple, but it needs to be asked. In John 16, Jesus says to his disciples about the Holy Spirit, He will bring glory to me by taking what's mine and making it known to you. The Holy Spirit is sometimes referenced as the silent member of the Trinity, not because he doesn't speak, but because he never points to himself. He's always pointing at Jesus Christ, the work of the cross, and the work that flows out of the cross, pointing us toward God the Father. And so when he speaks, when he's guiding, when he's calling for something or someone to do or say something, it'll always elevate Jesus. And so we can listen, someone saying, I sense God saying or calling us to do. We can listen to that and we can say, does this underneath, does this have as, as its aim to lift Jesus up? To draw someone or some group to Him? Does it want Jesus to be the focus? Or is there some how or some way, is this elevating human beings? Is this bringing a focus onto a person? Whether it's a worship leader or a preacher or someone out on the streets. Who is this elevating? Who is it pointing to? And it can get a little tricky because sometimes people speak the right words, but the motive of the heart is off. And um, God calls us to test everything. So don't assume that just because you hear right words, that there's an intent to bring glory to God. Okay? This is just a first filter. Is, is this person, is this guidance seeking to bring glory to God? Second, is it consistent with the character and the intentions of God as revealed in the Bible? So in 2 Timothy 2.13, Paul says, If we are faithless, God will remain faithful because He can't disown Himself. And then a little later He says, All Scripture is God-breathed or inspired and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the people of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so the two principles that are at work together here are this. One, that God inspired the Scriptures. And two, that God is unchanging in His nature. 
He's not fickle. He doesn't change his mind or his behavior. And so God who authored the scriptures can be absolutely counted upon to speak and to guide in ways that are consistent with what we see and know of him through the scriptures. In other words, God will often speak things that aren't in the Bible, like he'll call us to do things or say things or go to places that aren't recorded in the Bible. But the calling and the process should be consistent with the way that God operates in the Bible. So, for example, if a brand new Christian were to say to us here at Gold Avenue Church, I believe God's calling me to plant a church right now. Let's just say they converted uh, maybe a year ago. And now, after a year of growing in the Lord, I believe the Lord's calling me to plant a church right now. We might answer it by saying something like this. God may be giving you vision for the future, but we clearly don't believe he's calling you to plant a church right now. Because his word tells us when we choose church leaders, we ought not to choose recent converts, or they might become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. That's 1 Timothy 3.6. So we could say, in other words, it's not in keeping with God's character to place somebody without a strong, strong foundation in the Lord into spiritual leadership, no matter how zealous they are. Right? But it could be really tempting if we want to plant a church and somebody that's on fire for the Lord says, God's calling me to plant a church. But is that is that consistent with what we see of the Lord? No. He always takes His leaders through training processes, and uncomfortably so when we look at Scripture, those often include desert seasons, dry seasons, difficult seasons. Took Moses into the leadership, into the desert for many years. Took David into the desert for many years. Took Jesus into the desert for many days. Each of them had their character and their maturity refined their roots deepened in God's word and his truth and his love his character their ability to depend upon him so that when in a position of leadership they wouldn't be swayed this or that way but they'd have deep roots and so we could just really clearly say no matter how much someone felt 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 that God was calling them not now brother or sister but later okay I want to say, before moving on to the third question, this discernment, these two discernment questions alone, if we ask them all the time, will save us from incredible amounts of heartache. Does it bring glory to the Lord? Is it consistent with the character and intentions of God as recorded in Scripture? But, there's a but here. Asking these two questions and being able to answer them means that you... And I need to be intimately familiar with the Word of God. The character of God. How can we ask and answer these questions unless we ourselves know God through His Word? So discernment is about relationship. Discernment is about relationship. We come to know what God is like by walking with Him and we walk with Him 
through his word and living out that word. Okay? Third question that we should ask. Do other mature Christians who are filled with the Holy Spirit bear witness? I know this one painfully. When Ann and I decided to leave China, we didn't ask anybody. We were beat up. We were depressed. Um, we, we could not see a way through. And when we communicated our decision, um, others said to us that they didn't agree with our discernment, but we weren't listening. We didn't want to hear anything that didn't comport with the decision that we'd made. And I, I just can't tell you how often I see people get stuck in this place. Um, it's a place that often occurs when we're hurting. When we're hurting, when we're down, um, we get self-protective and it becomes harder for us to trust. Trust the Lord, but also to trust people or the Lord working through people. And yet, friends, God's put us in body and he's done it for a reason. And this is why when we join the church, we covenant together to a mutual accountability and even to submission to the leadership of the church because God speaks and he works through the body. So I just want to tell you, it's hard for me, after 10 years of pastoral experience, it's hard for me to overestimate the value of this question. While it's, it's possible for a well-meaning Christian who's asked the first two questions to still be led astray, possible. The chances of going astray are dramatically reduced when we're willing to submit our sense of God's leading to other believers who are filled with the Spirit. So one person says it this way, this is not a democratic process of taking a vote or letting the majority rule. It's, and neither is it merely working toward group consensus or opinion. Rather, it's an inner witness that comes from the Holy Spirit. A divine amen. A sense of peace that the message may rightly be received as coming from God if guidance, teaching, or a manifestation is from the Holy Spirit. That same Spirit will confirm it in the hearts of others. Quite simply, the Spirit recognizes the Spirit. Okay? So, there's a real difference here from a group of people working like a group, like we would in the world, like a group of business leaders, where we're just trying to come to consensus or agreement on a shared plan or vision that we come up with, and we're all going to commit to, to here, we are together trying to discern what is Jesus saying to us? What is the Lord saying about should we start this ministry or not? Should we call this person or not? Should I take that job or not? Pastor Gina shared about when she first was graduated from seminary and she had been looking, waiting for a call from the Lord for about nine months and didn't have a sense of guidance. And she gathered a group of people around her and said, pray with me. And as they prayed, one person saw a vision of three steps, three rocks crossing a stream. And the group prayed some more and said, we have a sense that this means there's some steps that you're called to take. And then three other people shared images that they had. And she reflected on those images. And each one of them corresponded to an invitation she'd received to go somewhere or do something. 
and how when she took those steps, she met me at each of those places and our relationship began and then began this this invitation to consider coming to minister at Gold Avenue Church. Well, the other end of that was our elders who were doing a discernment process and were saying, Lord, are you leading us to call Gina to be a pastor here? Because we don't have any money now or we don't know about the future. And we aren't quite sure how our bills get paid in the, in the present. Just by faith, every year you keep providing miraculously. And yet, as we asked and sat around that table, without any physical proof in the natural, there was this divine sense of yes, 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 yes. And it wasn't because I want it to be yes. It was that inner witness of the Holy Spirit. So in Colossians 3, Paul says to believers, um, how does he say it? 3.12, I think. Let the peace of God rule or arbitrate in your hearts. So we've got to remember that peace is a part of our eternal inheritance from the Lord. We can have peace all the time, no matter the circumstances. Nothing can take that peace from us. And so we can use that peace as an, as an arbiter, a sense of um, helping us to determine whether something may or may not be God's guidance. It's not the sole determiner, but it's a huge help. If I lose peace or we lack peace, you're walking off, off course. Okay? So do other mature believers bear witness? This is why you've got to be part of a church family. You've got to have people around you, community around you, that you're not just with on Sunday morning, but you've got community with, that you can share life with, so you can say, I need you to pray with me about something. What do you think about this? This is the sense of guidance I'm feeling. I feel the Lord's calling me to do this. I need help with this. And people can pray. No, 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 I don't have peace about that. And this is why. Or, yeah, I really have peace about that. Last last question to ask. Is there objectively verifiable evidence or fruit? So in Isaiah 55, 11, God says, My word will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and the purpose, and achieve the purpose for what I sent, which I sent it. This is another foundational truth from Scripture. God's word always creates and shapes reality. Like in creation, when God speaks and it comes to be. And so if God gives us a word of guidance to act on or to speak in a situation, and if it's from God, it'll bring fruit or results give you um, well, two examples, but I'll close with it. But this first. Sometimes it takes a long time before the fruit of the results come. Like in the Old Testament, when there were prophecies about Jesus that were like 500 years before he was born. That's a long time. So just because you don't see the fruit right away doesn't mean it's not from God. But it's one way to test. And a lot of times when we're working with God, we'll be able to see fruit right away. So two, two quick stories to close. Um, I think I've shared this story with a number of you before, but when I was teaching at Calvin Seminary in 2015, growing the church in the power of the Holy Spirit, we closed by inviting all the participants to come forward and receive prayer for empowerment. And as they came forward, we would bless them, pray for them, and then any words that God bubbled up, we would speak. And so this young woman was coming up. She was maybe the fourth or fifth one. And she was about four feet in front of me. I heard the words, 
you shall not lack for anything. Well, those are biblical words. That's Psalm 23, right? You shall not be in want. So I knew I was safe. So I, she, ca- she came to me, and before I started blessing her, praying for her, I just, I start, I just, I just put my hand on her, and I said, I just sensed the Lord saying, "You shall not lack for anything. You won't lack for the time that you need. You won't lack for the physical, the material resources that you won't need. You won't lack for the strength that you need. You won't, and I just, you know, whatever the Lord bubbled up. I was about four or five things in, and she was weeping, weeping in front of me. Well, I asked her. When she stopped weeping, um, is what I'm saying connecting with you? <laughs> Something's happening. She said, I signed up for seminary in faith that God was calling me here. And then I found out I was pregnant. And I thought, God, how am I going to do this pregnant? I just found out I'm carrying twins. I'm totally overwhelmed. God's speaking to me through you right now. I, uh, well, never mind. That was fruit. A, a, ev- evidence that, see, the, the word was from God's word, and it could be spoken at any time and be true, but was this a word that God was specifically speaking and applying right now to her? Yes. There's other times where I pray that way with a sense of faith, and there's no response. And so then, maybe it was just me. But at least when I'm praying through the first the grid of the first two questions, aiming to glorify the Lord and it's consistent with his character and his intentions, I'm not doing harm, I'm still encouraging and upbuilding, right? Here you could see this was the Lord working. Let me close with this last example of how I think we saw this at work two weeks ago when um, we were worshiping together. It was uh, before the worship service, in the prayer room, several of us had this sense Pray for Kayleen. Just think God's going to be speaking through Kayleen this morning. And she was on, on the worship team and she had just, she's just joined the worship team, what, you've, you've maybe eight times you've been up there? Ten? Yeah. Not that many times. And you've not spoken out in prayer before from worship, but there was this sense God's going to speak through Kayleen. So we prayed for her. And then we came out and I had this sense, talk to Kayleen and ask her, tell her, if something's coming, don't inhibit it, but pray it. And do you know how to do that? So I did that. And she said, okay, I will. And no, not really. And so we went and talked to Nate and said, how should that go if Kayleen's got something bubbling up? And he said, well, just let it bubble and look at me and I'll know to keep playing. And told her how that that works. And and so it happened. You saw that in the second song. After the second song, Kayleen said, I just sense the Lord keeps bringing the scripture to mind that his kindness leads to repentance. And so she prayed about that for a minute, and then we went into the second song. Well, then Pastor Jalisa came forward, and she said, after the third song, she said, you know what, Kayleen prayed about this, but I want to come back to that for a minute and just create some space. If there's anything that we need to repent of, she created some silent space. So what was that? That was a confirming witness. If she didn't think it was from the Lord she would have just let it pass by and we would have kept going. But she created space for that to happen. Now, I don't know what happened in that moment, but we moved on to the worship service and the Lord had me preaching that morning about faith clothed with obedience. And he was convicting a lot of us about operating out of fear, letting fear dictate whether we would speak and operate and represent him. And so I finished the sermon and I said, 
let's respond with a time of prayer. And we moved, and we normally I pray, but we moved into congregational prayer, and it just kept going and bubbling and bubbling and bubbling, and a good portion of it was people repenting of letting themselves be guided by something other than the Lord. And what led to that repentance? I think it was his kindness. Strangely enough, I felt led to end that sermon on the love of Jesus. I didn't have that planned in my notes. I just finished and thought, the Lord loves us and remind the congregation of that. So there's an example of these discernment principles at work in our worship service where we're hearing from the Lord, God saying, it's my kindness that leads you to repent or to change your ways. And we're experiencing him speaking and then us responding in a way that's safe. And yet God's really present really bringing about repentance, and you can feel that we're growing as a congregation. You can hear it in our testimonies, in our holy boldness, in allowing the Lord to speak and act through us outside the church in ways that bring Him glory. So let's close now, and let's pray that He grows us in discernment. And then after we pray and sing a song, we're going to install a new elder and a deacon, and we're going to pray for discernment for them. Okay, let's pray. Lord God, thank you that you are alive and speaking to and through your church and believers today. We welcome your Spirit's fire in this place. We welcome and ask and invite you to pour out your gifts. Pour out all that we need to effectively preach the gospel, represent you in our jobs, in our schools, in our homes, and live as spirit-filled witnesses to the new creation, the new kingdom of God. And Lord, we pray that you would grow us now in the gift of discernment, that we will first and foremost be able to discern our own thoughts. Where do they come from? Are they true? Are they grounded in your word? Help us to take our thoughts captive. Make them obedient to you, Jesus. And then, Lord, help us to grow in practicing discernment together as a group, that as we welcome you to speak, as we welcome you to give prophetic words, that we would do so in a way that honors you, that honors each other, and that is uh, safe for the, for the upbuilding of your church, Lord. We pray this in your precious and holy name, Jesus. Amen. I stand and sing in response to that.